overwhelm is sneaky. We don't plan on being in overwhelm. We just keep saying yes. We forget that there are things called boundaries that we should have in place. And before you know it, we're sick or we're pissed off or we're depressed. And the other bad thing about overwhelm is that it's hard to get out of the cycle of doing when you have to keep doing because you create this monster. It's like a little tornado of doing. My guest today has some suggestions, some techniques that can help. And one of them is tapping. Have you heard of tapping? It's a little woo, but I got to tell you, I have experienced it and it works and it's super simple and it's free. Listen in. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. I was humming along, cranking out like two child custody evaluations a month. I had a full practice of kids and adults. Everything that had to do with high conflict divorce, whether it was mediation, co-parenting, you name it, whatever they had, I did it. And I thrived in it. People were asking, how are you getting so much done? Well, by 2005, I was like crash and burn, just about ready to declare myself toast. I could do it for a while and I loved the work and I thought I was making this great difference in kids' lives, but I lost me in the process. I was overwhelmed with the amount that I said yes to. Plus, I had a husband, two kids, a dog, and a cat, and I lost me. So I had high stress. I was starting to feel the effects of my body, was disconnecting from friends, not exercising. And boy, did it take a toll on me. Yeah, I'll bet. So you were a marriage and family therapist. Still am. You are. You say on your website that you used your own strategies, techniques to take yourself from that place of overwhelm to a much better place. How did you discover those things if you were in overwhelm? So I took a sabbatical. Okay. I took time off. I gave myself space to just be for a year. And in the beginning, I kept having these scenarios run through my mind of families that I worked with. And I was holding a lot of information. And so it took about six months to stop the chatter of my work Mm -hmm. in my brain. I connected with nature. I planted a garden. I connected with friends. I went back to meditating. I'd go for walks. So I did some basic things. I did jigsaw puzzles Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew my brain needed a break. And certainly I didn't know what I know today about the brain. Back then, I wasn't brain research because I was so into the work I was doing that it didn't require that. But as I began to heal from the, I guess you'd call it, traumatic amount of 
stress and overwhelm I put myself through, I discovered that it was little things that made a difference. Little things that I was noticing like, wow, it makes me happy to feel sunshine on my face. Mm. Just getting back in touch with me helped tremendously. Having some interests and passions come back to life, like gardening and doing jigsaw puzzles. Immersing myself back into things that I liked and enjoyed and connecting with other people, my family and friends, cooking, doing things that I put off because I was doing important work. But all that important work doesn't mean a thing if you can't function at the end of the day. Yeah. Do you think that being in overwhelm and what you're describing, I was seeing was rote. You loved your work. We often love what we're doing. I think we get into the habits of busy, churning out work, client care, marketing, whatever it may be, that we don't stop to smell the roses, so to speak, plant a garden, cook something delicious, which is when our brain can go into creative and enjoyment mode, right? Imagination flourishes when we're not so focused on work. Do you think that's a common thing that people just get into a habit of doing and they just keep doing I think not only is it a habit, it is ingrained in us at a really young age. We are a society that that is uh, conditioned to produce. We, we don't find value in being. We find our value in doing and in, in being praised and reaching accolades and income. And yes, it was very flattering to have judges contact me and say, we know you can handle this case. We want you on the case. And attorneys saying, we'll wait for you. Oh, it's eight months? Okay, no problem. I'm like, you got to be kidding. It was insane. Towards the end, the cases I was taking on were not tame cases. They took a lot of time and effort. And, and yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But geez, you know, there's only one of me. And there's, mm-hmm. there wasn't enough to go around. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an easy trap for us to get into. Yes, maybe you're earning more money or you're getting praised or you're getting referrals and it's enticing and tempting and all the goodies uh, that light up our brain, right? The dopamine hit. Exactly. And then we forget about the simplicity of life, of just being and smelling the roses. You and I had a conversation before today, and you talk about recreation. It sounded like you were recreating you in your life. Not that you recreated who you are, but you brought more of you into it, and that was a recreation of how you did your life. Talk about recreation. So patterns get established at a really early age. This we know from research, that we can have... Something happened, we have an experience, and then we make meaning of it. And that's what gets stored in the subconscious. And then you'll find that there's these recreations. So what tends to happen is you attract the same kind of friends. Maybe you have uh, what you could call a streak of bad luck Mm -hmm. with jobs. You wonder why you can't attract a maid. These are all patterns that get recreated to play out what generally are wounds from the past, like these childhood experiences that 
they become ways that we coped. The, in the beginning, they work for survival. But as we grow older, and it may not be until your 40s, 50s, even into your 60s, that you realize, wow, I've been recreating this same pattern. And that coping skill doesn't work. And the meaning I made from whatever event, and none of this is conscious. So like most of us don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. All we know is life's a struggle and it's stressful and I'm overwhelmed and nothing seems to be working in this area of my life. And maybe I'm good here in work, but my personal life or my relationships are a mess. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of recreation in a different way. I was thinking that you recreated how you wanted to be in your life. You're referring to the patterns the circumstances we keep recreating because they're ingrained in us. So right. different kinds of recreation. I just wanted to make that distinction. Okay. And I will speak to that because that's the flip side. That is the piece of looking at this isn't working for me. I don't like the direction of my life or this one area of my life. And it is important to look at recreating yourself and Playing with the idea of recreating a new identity. And I work with a lot of people who have gone through cancer and treatment. And what often happens is they get this new identity as a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. They go through their chemo, they ring the bell, and now it's like, oh, now I'm a cancer survivor. And so we, we put these labels on ourselves. We've got an identity. And I'm all about let's remove the labels, but let's find an identity that's more to either the authentic you or the you that you would like. The you, let's say, because of our early childhood programming, you might have an identity that part of it is it's selfish to take care of myself or I feel guilty when I take time away from my family or my job to do whatever might actually sustain you, whether it's meditation or exercise or eating, you know, spending 20 minutes to sit and eat a, a leisurely meal. And, you know, most of us were fast paced. We've, we've got things to do, places to go, people to see. But if you could recreate your identity, your personality, how you function, it takes a lot of awareness and it takes the, the foresight to be able to look and say, hmm, how do I want to show up? And on the flip side of showing up is how do I want to experience my life, right? How we show up directly influences mm -hmm. what we're going to experience, how we're going to feel. I love your distinction between label, labels versus identity. And I think we're going to talk about health in a minute. Health labels, cancer, survivor cancer, victim, you know, pre-diabetic, diabetic. It can put people in a negative space. There's no room for possibility except within that label. As a diabetic, rather than I'm on my way to being a healthier person. Right now, I have something that's not healthy in me. I love to help people, which you probably change the narrative, the way they tell that story about that label. And as you say, removing the label and identifying as something other than the label. So 
now that we we have the recreation possibility, we can recreate. But you mentioned personality. Do you think somebody can change their personality? Definitely. Yeah. It takes awareness. You have to catch yourself when you're back in old programming as default. For me, for example, I am playing with the early childhood programming I got and the meaning I made from these messages of it's not safe to go big. It's not safe to upstage other people. You know, don't draw attention to yourself. I've got clients that, you know, it's not okay for you to boast or brag. I didn't get that one, but you can see where this is going. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm writing my next book and it is about this early childhood programming, these messages. So I'm playing with, okay, what's the opposite of those things? And how can I grow into, it's okay for me to express myself. It's okay Mm -hmm. for me to get my message out to people. I am making an important difference. So in order to do those things and I have clarity on what I want, I may not know how to get there, but I can picture it. I can begin to feel it and draw myself to being that person. Mm -hmm. Some people listening will know Mike Dooley. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a personal development. He always says, don't worry about the cursed house. You just said, I may not know how I'm going to get there. That made so much sense to me. We just know right now, this is what I'm going to try. And that will lead to something else and something will trigger or we'll meet somebody. So that's a very important thing to remember. The point is, that is an early childhood conditioning, you know, that we learn and definitely will keep some people from becoming their full expression of themselves. It's a huge, huge limitation. And I have lived it my whole life until more recently when I've decided, okay, I am ready to expand into being somebody I've never been before. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't know what it's going to feel like, but I can say I want that experience. Yeah. You talk about people having the life they desire. This seems like a perfect segue. I've had clients and I've been at events with large groups of people. When you ask somebody what they really, truly want, what's your heart desire? Many people don't know how to answer that. If you wanted to generalize away from the overwhelm and the stress, what would be a desirable life for somebody that finds themselves right now in overwhelm? It's interesting that a lot of the people that I work with, and I'm hearing this more and more as they are getting to be 60, 65, 70 years old, I want to live my life before I die. Mm. Because they don't feel like they've been living, whatever living means to them. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating to hear someone say, I've been alive, but I've been dead inside, or Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've really lived. I've certainly not lived to my potential. And one woman's like, I've never felt loved. It's really deep, but it could be, I want to go experience some travel, and that Mm -hmm. would be living. So it's very personal. Yeah, absolutely. I personally would like to just be able to eat ice cream anytime I want. (laughs) So let's talk about them. Coming from the health perspective here, what are the health ramifications of staying in overwhelm and letting that be okay? Some people will say, 
you know, it's stressful and I'm overwhelmed, but it's okay. I'm, I'm doing it. But there are health consequences to that, right? Right. At some point, it does catch up with most people. The chronic overwhelm can feel natural and normal. I'm not saying it's natural and normal to be in chronic overwhelm or stress or pain, but a lot of people, they reach a threshold where they become desensitized. So until you stop, and sometimes this happens, you'll go on a vacation and you do something different, you slow down, you stop, and you get sick, Mm -hmm. right? Like... Oh, finally let go of all that you've been holding on to. And that's a real sign of the toll that you put your body under, the stress, the tension you've been holding that you're not even aware of. And we know that over time, if you have enough stress and tension on anything, like a rubber band, it's going to break. Something's going to give. And we know, of course, cortisol is the stress hormone, and it is not only an inflammatory hormone, it's a storage hormone, and it helps women hold on to the weight that they don't like. Correct. So you, you can have weight gain, a decreased immune system. The thing about stress and overwhelm is if you're in what's considered fight or flight, when you're in that kind of high stress chronically or frequently, you're like in emergency mode. Your body goes on high alert because it feels like you are in danger. And you don't have the resources then to take care of business the way you'd like to. You don't have access to creativity and the ability to think clearly, to come from wisdom, intuition, because everything shuts down including your digestion, Mm -hmm. uh, so that blood flow actually goes to your extremities so you can fight or flee. So you're not getting the adequate amount of blood flow to your brain or your stomach, and and therefore your memory is not going to be as good. I mean, think about it. When you're high stress, do you make great decisions? Or are you maybe more prone to mistakes, accidents, forgetting things? Yeah, I once heard a brain doc say, when emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the brain, you wrote a book called The Brain Makeover, I believe. Yes. I have. Is this a simple process? Is it a long-term like program? So my book has 52 weekly readings, and it doesn't take a whole year. You don't have to do 52 different things. But I've written it so simple because when I wrote this <laughs> I was actually doing a blog and I would write like two paragraphs a day. That was my blog five days a week because I didn't like reading long things. I didn't have time. I didn't have the bandwidth. So each weekly reading is like two pages. Maybe it goes into a third page and it's got something to do. For example, the first weekly reading is called what's your happiest moment of the day? That's asking you to find three to five happiest moments that you can recall. Either you can put in a journal, you can text it to somebody, you can tell somebody. At the end of the day, what are your three to five happiest moments? 
And what this does is it gets your brain shifting off of stress, fear, and overwhelm, and all of that stuff that we get so caught up in. Now, your brain is scanning your environment, looking to figure out what makes me happy. Hmm. And it could be as simple as that first sip of hot tea in the morning, seeing the roses bloom, the the blossoms on the trees, hearing your favorite song. Simple. And, And if you were to do this daily for a week, a month, or a year, it will change. It's like a pattern interrupt in your brain. You cannot be super stressed and happy at the same time. Right. Can't be in two states at the same time. Tony Robbins, I think, is the first person I heard talk about state changes. It's state of anxiety, frustration at the desk, can't write, cursors blinking, get up. That's already a state change. Now, you may need a little bit more, but just the act of physically moving or clapping your hands, anything to break the state. And so what you're saying is over time, changing the natural inclination. We have so many negative thoughts compared to positive thoughts every day. It's in the thousands times more. Yes, it's like 80, about 80% are negative. Yeah. And that's just because we were born with these survival brains. But the survival yeah. brain is stressing us out today. Very few of us are in danger. I would venture to, to say probably 99.9% of us are not in danger when we open our email and we have a stress response. But our body feels it. And if we don't reprogram the brain, lay down some new neural pathways for a different way of thinking, we will go back to what's familiar. It reminds me of when we had, I'm going to really date myself now, putting records on record players and it would skip Mm -hmm. because there was a nick or the groove had gotten so worn it couldn't skip to the next one. Same with the brain. The tracks that we lay down, if we just keep replaying them over and over again, we have to consciously make the effort to create a new neural pathway out of that rut. And like you said, they can be simple things. Yeah, It doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to take a long time. And my book is a perfect example. You could find three or four things and experiment. Try them on for you know, a week. That's what's recommended is try each one for a week. Move on to the next. If something resonates with you, stick with it for a while. If it doesn't, you've got 52 things to choose from. (laughs) Now, you wrote another book, something about food. It's called Tired and Hungry No More. Okay. And And it is a lifestyle book. It has 50 healthy recipes, but you could be tired of a situation and hungry for something new and different and exciting or calming. It's it's got the mental emotional piece Mm -hmm. plus the lifestyle. Because if you don't get that mental emotional piece going and address that first, that's why most of us cannot, for the life of us, stick to a lifestyle change. There are tons and tons and tons of books on how to stick with a new change in your life. 
And I have my favorites, but I'm going to ask you what yours is. When you say the mental and emotional piece, give me an example of some way to help somebody have a change stick. I like to go for things that are going to be permanent changes. I don't know, I'm just about lasting change. Okay. Or I'm working with somebody who is ready to hear and adopt a mantra. Like, all is well. All is well in this moment. At this moment, I have everything I need. For some people who are super stressed, anxious, having panic attacks and anxiety, they may not believe that. And then I will introduce EFT tapping. If you don't address the actual root cause, then you're only dealing with symptoms. And I prefer not dealing with symptoms because it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on it and then at some point it's going to show up again. Mm -hmm. Some people may not know what EFT is. Explain it. Yes. So it's called the emotional freedom technique. It's tapping on meridian points uh, on your face and body. And it's a great way to release stored emotions, to reprogram the brain. But probably it's most known for calming the amygdala, that part in the brain that signals the fight or flight response. And so that is a tool that I teach people and I use when we need to really shift things on a deep level. And it's non-invasive and it's doesn't cost anything you learn it. No. It might involve some cost, but once you learn it, you've got it forever. Right. And both my books have tapping in them and tapping scripts and instructions how to use it. I've got a video on my website. I think people underestimate the power in something so simple. But tapping on a meridian, those are the energy points, the points where the energy ends or resides in mm -hmm. the head, the face, shoulders arms, the rest of the body. I've had a personal experience of that. I know many people who are tappers and I used to be a speaker. If I was lucky enough to also be sharing the stage with somebody who was an EFT person, they often offered something because I would get pretty nervous. And I'll tell you, work like a charm. And uh, so if you're interested, uh, I would say go to phyllisginsburg.com and see what she's got there for you because it, it, it is really a powerful thing. Once you have it, keep it in your pocket. You bring it out whenever you need it. And the great thing about this modality is that in the realm of energy healing, once you free stored energy, it's gone forever. Like you will not get those same problems back because you freed these stored emotions. You freed the energy that goes with thoughts of trauma or anything that needs releasing. Hmm. So it's real, it's powerful. Wow. It really is. Yeah. And for my listeners that are interested in the woo side of life but haven't really gone there yet, start with something simple. Get to know tapping, something like that. And it's it's a way in, right, to understand energy healing a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So what would you leave us with, Phyllis, about the importance of getting out of overwhelm? I would say don't wait until like the house is on fire. <laughs> if you know that you're a little bit on the edgy side, if you feel irritable, stressed, tense, you've got some minor or maybe major aches and pains, 
you've got fears, doubts, worries. Those are all signs that you might be in overwhelm. And it would do you a wealth of good. It's like a, an ounce of cure is, what's is a pound of cure? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's it. Yes. Prevention. Anytime that you can prevent something from getting worse or prevent it from happening at all would be so worth it. Mm -hmm. And you have a free guide, Coping with Stress and Overwhelm, on your website, yes? Yes, I do. And that harkens back to the beginning of the conversation. Remember that if you don't stop to think in the moments that you are overwhelmed to say, oh, what am I doing? Do I have to do this again? Ask yourself some good questions and break the cycle, change your state around that. And then everybody may not be able to take a year sabbatical, but certainly you can take 15 minutes, an hour, a day to decide what you want. Actually, uh, my free gift on my website is called Cope with Stress and Overwhelm in Five Minutes or Less. Oh, there you go. And it's got several things that you could choose from. You don't have to do them all. Just find one or two that, that work for you and you can use them anytime that you need. They'd be like your go to things. Yeah. And I like that you give people choices. It's not like you have to do this, then this, then mm-hmm. this, right? It's like pick one from column A and one from yes. column B. Most of us don't like to be told what to do and we're no, not no, a one no. size, one, we are not a one size fits all. No, we are definitely not that. Well, Phyllis, this has been great. I really enjoyed it. I don't think of myself as a person who has overwhelm, but I can see how I get in ruts of doing. And, you know, the importance, good reminder for me to step back and do I really want to be doing this right now? Is this helpful? Is this important? So thank you very much for being with us. PeopleFillisGinsburg.com is where you can get the free download and learn about tapping, about her books, and all the other good stuff she has to offer. Phyllis, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye, peeps. I'll talk to you next week. Before you go, peeps, I was just wondering if we are connected on social media. If not, let's do that. You can find me on Instagram at RebelWell50. Same on Twitter. Facebook, it's Rebellious Wellness Over 50. And hey, don't be a stranger. Comment. Let me know what you'd like to hear about on the podcast or what questions you have about aging better and living rebelliously. 